Welcome to Drive Time, our UCLA Anderson Fully Employed MBA Program podcast. My name is Dylan Stafford, and I'm an assistant dean here at UCLA Anderson and your host. We want to introduce you to some of the great women and men of FEMBA to share their success and give you an inside look at the impact of FEMBA. Today's interview is with Katie Kruger Davis, class of 2016. Katie has done it all during FEMBA. She served on FEMBA Council all three years, including this year as president. Katie successfully switched careers and is taking a full-time position with McKinsey & Company after graduation. Katie traveled to India on a global immersion, and she was on a first-place team in the 2014 Net Impact Consulting Challenge. Katie is passionate about helping women choose daunting career choices, and she shares thoughts about that, as well as some keen insights that could benefit all students in the classroom, in on-campus recruiting, and in balancing friends and family and work and school. We hope you enjoy today's podcast with Katie Kruger Davis. So Katie, thank you so much. And um, let me hand it over to you. I asked for one fun fact. So I think Katie, we might start, she can introduce herself a little bit by telling, tell tell me your one fun fact about you. Well, thank you, Dylan. Um, So my fun fact is that I moved a lot when I was growing up. I was born in Malaysia. And I moved 18 times before I graduated from high school, including three different high schools. Um, I ended up coming to California to go to college. And after graduating from college, I moved to China for a year um, to try to learn Chinese better. But now I get to live in the city of Huntington Beach, which is about 40 miles south of UCLA. And I've loved living there. And I decided to tell people I'm a Californian. Fantastic. Wow. Three different high schools, 18 different moves. Wow, 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 wow. And um, let's see, and let's, let's, we'll go back. So your undergrad, you you studied, you had how many majors? Where, what did you study at Pepperdine? Tell us about... Pepperdine. I was an international studies major, and um, I obviously was interested um, both in, in working in maybe political science, um, but also working with different cultures. Um, I was also an intercultural communication major. And um, I didn't, and after I left China and came back to the States, I got into outside sales. So I wasn't working directly in international studies or even international business necessarily, but what I found was that in California, I worked a lot with um, so many cultures because of the nature of of our state. Um, So then I spent uh, most of my career in outside sales and specifically in manufacturing. So most recently, I worked for a number of years for an industrial gas company, Air Liquide, and um, that's where I was while I was while I started the FEMBA program. And when um, when I asked kind of for some of the background, you were at Air Liquide. It was it was around when you started there that you actually kind of maybe started thinking an MBA might be in your future. So. Because of my degrees in college, I was never able or I never took classes in you know, accounting, finance, marketing, a lot of the business knowledge that I wish I had as I was working in sales. And as I began to deal with larger and larger accounts and uh, you know, larger or more senior clients, I realized that it would really help me to have that knowledge as I continued my career. So I started thinking about an MBA um, right around that time, so around, probably around 2011. And were you thinking full-time, part-time? Did you think I, about quitting quitting the yeah, job and going back? I definitely or? considered quitting the job, quitting my job to do grad school. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think that would have been a viable solution. But the reason that I 
made the decision to pursue part-time programs is I still felt like I was learning a lot in my job and that there was still value in staying in that position if possible. Great, great, great. And, and as you, you know, you're, um, you're working in Santa Fe Springs, you know, you obviously, you know, your alma mater, you know, as you started to look around at your choice group, you know, how did UCLA get on your radar screen? What was your, what was your pre UCLA experience like? Yeah. So, um, I worked primarily out of my home and then my territory for work was all of Orange County and San Diego County. Okay. So, and I, of course, I live in Orange County. So I first looked at all the schools that had locations in my territory, uh, which is not UCLA, but you know, of course, UCLA came up because it's the best, I was clearly now I, I, I know for a fact it's the best program in the region. So I came up for one of our um, open house days, and okay. I heard you speak. Uh-oh. And <laughs> I hope I did a good I, job that day. <laughs> it, just, it, it made me very, very excited, more than any of the other uh, information sessions that I'd been to. Mm. And so ever since, uh, like, basically starting that day, I decided that UCLA would be my first choice if I could possibly get into the program. So yeah. then, um, yeah, so then I basically... Did my GMAT and here I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if I mean, I know it's been a while and you've thought about a million things since then, but just since some of our listeners are, are probably considering an MBA, um, you know, you'd been out of school for a couple, three years. You, you dusted off your, you know, test taking skill set <laughs> to face a le GMAT and, uh, you know, the letters of rec, the essays, anything yeah. you remember about going through that process? Was it, you know, or any pay it forward tips you would you offer to people thinking about an MBA? Um, yeah, you know, I think the hardest, actually the hardest part for me was getting the letters of recommendation really? because yeah. a lot of people in my field at that time, and I don't want to speak for, you know, everyone in these industries, but you know, I worked in manufacturing and a sales job. So they often aren't as full of MBAs as some mm. of the other jobs that, you know, people might be coming out of. Um, and I didn't feel like my company was that excited or supportive. And my boss even told me directly not to do an MBA. Wow. So asking her, yes, I, I respect your opinion, but can you please write this letter of recommendation? <laughs> and make it a good yeah. rec, please. <laughs> Let me read it because I'm worried. Um, was actually really awkward for me because mm. I didn't have control over that. And um, it just didn't feel like an environment where everyone would be actually for me to get into these uh, programs. And that's the crazy thing. You know, in Los Angeles, there are people in entertainment, there are people in real estate, there are people in, in industries where there's there's definitely that you can do it without right. it. You know, just you bootstrap it, it. Right. just bootstrap, you'll figure it out. But at the end of the day, if you have a good relationship with these people, they will also respect your decision and you mm. can listen to their advice and say, actually, it's really helpful for me to hear your advice. But I think I'm going to try for this. Let's see what happens. Can you please write this letter? And that's basically what I did. And she wrote it. So yeah, and it, it, was, just, it was just awkward. <laughs> <laughs> but but just like even maybe not so much the marriage balance, but the work balance, the commute balance, like, you know, just coming back to school and maintaining your commitments at Air Lake, just kind of, what yeah. was that like? So coming to FEMA was nothing like going to college. Okay. <laughs> <So> <laughs> let's just dispel that before anyone gets any ideas. Um the thing about college is that in general, most of your friends are at the same phase of life. You know, yeah. you're within a couple years of each other. You're all living near or, you know, on campus. 
you're all starting your careers, you're all, you know, maybe, you know, maybe in serious relationships, but maybe, you know, at least not, no one's, you know, got four kids. Um, so it's really easy to form like fast bonds and mm. you're interested in the same things and you have the same like you know, time schedule. Um, and that's a lot of like what makes college so fun. Yeah. The FEMA program is the exact opposite of that. <laughs> you literally have people who are, you know, very close out of college who still, you know, stay up till the wee hours of the morning for no reason. <laughs> and then you've got people who because they can, because, because they, they their can. body's just that hardcore still. Um, and then you've got people who have, who have four children, you know, women who ha- are, are mothers caring for their children and working full time. You've got, you know, just every spectrum of life in this program, which makes it so cool and so interesting, but it also makes it then more difficult when you're trying to, you know, plan things or do your homework or even understand each other. You'll, you'll see when you're in these groups working together, the perspectives are so radically different that you can either appreciate that someone's like uh, so opposite from you, or you can get frustrated at how they are so different. Um, so anyway, so coming back to school was very, very different. Coming back to FEMBA program is, is very different from college. Um, but that was, that was actually perfect for me. You know, I loved college, but you know, I'd done it. Um, the other thing that was very different was my commute. As I mentioned, I lived like 40 miles away, not just 40 miles away, 40 miles away in some of the country's worst possible traffic. Yeah. The 405 Um, (laughs) North on a Thursday afternoon for God's sake. I was a Saturday student for my four classes, um, which was, was good for me. And um, then once I started my electives, I decided that I, sh- I would battle the traffic in order to get the classes and professors that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've spent many hours of my life, many days of my life now uh, <laughs> <laughs> commuting, but uh, it was worth it. So that's a big difference, obviously. Um, and then I think, you know, a lot of people start the FEMBA program in serious relationships or married, and that adds a whole different dynamic because your partner is undoubtedly one of the most important things in your life. And if you were to lay out your priorities, you would always put them before your career and you would put them before your, your homework or your grades or whatever. You'd always put them first. But the change in the relationship is so dramatic and it happens like literally overnight. Um, so my husband and I spent so much time together before I started Femba. Every, you know, we would do weekend trips all the time. And we, was, mm. we just spent so much time together, which was wonderful. And then I started Femba and every inch of my free time was fed, spent at school, about school, on my, you know, group calls. And it was just this complete change. Um, and that's why I, I encourage, I always encourage people to, and you do too, to encourage, to make sure that your loved ones, be it your significant other or your kids are on board and make sure that you remind them, yes, right now you want to be supportive, but once we're in the throes of it, you have to give me feedback about how it's going because that's the only way this will work for three whole years. It's a really long time. And even one year, it's a really long time for your significant other to feel like they're, you know, on the back burner or your child to miss you, you know, tucking them in at night. Those are really significant things. So a full year of not knowing how they're struggling is too long. Um, so always check in with them and how can we adjust who, like who needs a little bit of a change. And I have a good friend who's, uh, who was in my section and, um, realized that it was just too tough on her family or her spouse and her 
daughter and she switched to flex and that was the right choice for her family and so it was the right choice ultimately for her femba career but you can't you just can't let things go, things that are really important especially i would say people that are really important you can't let that go for three years without checking in is this actually working mm -hmm. um great advice but, yeah and then I, I would also say i mean the thing that really made this three years work well for me and um made it really made it possible for me to thrive was my husband wanted to be supportive he made that very clear in the beginning but then he really stepped up and like followed up that that promise with a lot of behavior change and he has a very demanding job where the stress of his work is just it's literally like people's life lives and deaths so um I've just really appreciated that he would come home and he started doing 100% of the grocery shopping. He started, oh my God. you know, doing his own laundry. I mean, it, you know, it, and I think women talk about this a lot, asking your partner to do 50% of the work at home. And it's not, it, yes, that's really important. But what's actually really hard is changing what you've already set up as your norm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it takes two people, one person to say, look, it's like it's not going well for me. I cannot keep doing all these things. And the other person to say, I hear you and I want to help. Like, how can we change it? So both people want to change it. That's really important if you have a significant other and you really um, want to. <laughs> I, hopefully everyone does. You want to make sure it's successful that both parties not only say, I, I want to be in this program. I want you to be in this program, but I'm going to alter my behavior, take on more more work, more responsibility, more stress so that you will be successful. And my husband has absolutely done that. So let's transition. So you have given three years of your time as a leader in the different levels of the FEMBA council experience. So, and you're, and you've, the last year you've been our FEMBA council president. So for people who don't, FEMBA councils are student government. It is not what you might think of as a lightweight type thing. We, we have a co-governance model here and part of how we can be a change adaptive, evolving in real time MBA program is that we, we being the faculty, the administration, have this group of leaders who are really our ear to the ground. So tell people about FEMBA Council, tell people about kind of what it's like first year, second year, yep. third year, why'd you want to do it, you know, what made you want to run for president, you mm -hmm. know, like some things you're proud of from, from what you've okay. seen happen in the last three years. Okay, so FEMBA Council is made up of three representatives from each of the um, class cohorts. So that would be the different sections within each graduating year. And that is the representative level. And then we have a board of six VPs and one president. Um, the first year that I was at Anderson, I was the external rep for my section, which is section one, which is the best section. <laughs> um, and then the second year I ran and was elected as the VP of external relations and then, um, obviously, this previously I ran and was elected as the FEMBA Council president. And the FEMBA Council's um, primary, primary goal is, obviously, to help and support the FEMBA student body. And so we do that in a couple of different ways. Um, we listen, number one, we listen to our classmates. That's the representative's job is to listen to their classmates, help them navigate the FEMBA program better, help them find the opportunities that are best, the best fit for what their classmates um, either need or are looking for, um, make sure that their classmates feel like they have a voice, both with the administration, the alumni organization, um, and then in the same way, help the administration uh, work and communicate with the student body. Um, so it's kind of like a go-between. And then another, the second big part is just 
trying to create more avenues for the FEMBA student body. And that's both socially, we plan a lot of fun, cool events. Um, we uh, also, obviously, from a career capacity, we plan events to help people expand their professional network. Um, we try to, um, in the same thread, we try to connect students with a lot of alum who are in their same field or in a field that they're interested in going into. Um, and then I'd say the third big thing is we try to uh, be a part of positive change, both the Anderson, but also specifically for our program. So we take on initiatives um, for for the school, and a lot of these initiatives are pretty long term. And so it's not just one council, one you know, one year, one president taking on this initiative. It's something that we have to work with the administration, with the school, and see the change and see the improvement happen over time, which is something I have been really passionate about. And one reason I'm excited that I got to be on council for three years and, and watch some of these initiatives grow because a lot of it's slow and or feels slow, I guess, for a student. We always want things to happen immediately. Um, and um, yeah, so that's, I think that's the third part is we really try to, to bring positive change to our program. And um, yeah. so, okay. So, so why was I, so why did I participate so much on council and ultimately run president? So I've always been a big believer in fully committing to help improve any organization or community that I'm choosing to be a part of. And mm. um, I try to find ways where my strengths will be best utilized. So I've always done that. And uh, when I started Anderson, I thought, well, you know, good at planning things and like to talk to people. And so <laughs> I'll join this council. And I, I was pretty excited about the way that Anderson and our administration listens and just works really closely with the council and we can see the impact that mm. the student body of the student council has and so um, it inspired me to continue working with the council and ultimately I ran for the position of president because I felt like I put in two very 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 challenging years and I'd already I just gotten so much from being part of this community but because I'd already been here for two years, there were so many things that I saw opportunity with, and I knew somebody needed to, you know, be a part, we needed people to be a part of that work. I mean, it's a lot of work to change things, a lot of work to improve things, um, and so I felt like I had the capacity at that point and um, the know-how to be part of that change. And so as president, that's been the thing I've been most excited about is working with my team to do the work of like positive change at Anderson. And I, that's the thing, you know, obviously you don't, I don't expect everybody at, in the FEMA program to be on FEMA council. Um, but what I hope everybody will do is find something that they think they would be good at doing that will bring some sort of positive change because they're part of this community. And, you know, we see, there's so many of my classmates that take on initiatives that are amazing. And we just, Everyone wants it. Everyone wants that to happen. We just need somebody or a group of somebodies to like take on that work and do that job. And uh, that's what has made me most um, inspired by the position of president is when I see people have a passion and then take on the hard work of like following that through. And we have so many of those people at Anderson, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh, Did I miss any questions? No, that's okay. great. That's great. That's great. That's great. Well, and I know you're leaving. We just had elections today for next year's president. Yes. And I know that whoever is chosen is going to 
stand on the shoulders of giants and, you know, and we'll keep growing because that's, that's what good organizations either, you either spiral up or you coast down, right? There's no, you can't stay still. You got to be growing. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm really a big believer in action. And I think that's something that makes, you know, it pushes me to take on the work because the only way things actually get done is when people have the action. I think I, I said this to you that I, I really hate the saying that it's a thought that counts because really the thought does nothing and it's the action that counts at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's actually one thing I think about you, Dylan, that I think inspires people is you are not like just a talker. You you've, There's so much action behind what you say and what you mm the ideas you have and that's what I hope I can and be like in my life is when I say something is important to me and I you know have an idea or you know even a critique if I have a critique of something that I put put the action behind that to instill an actual change and so thank you well I appreciate the I appreciate the acknowledgement yeah well this is I told I told everyone at FEMA Council I'm writing this book and this book that I'm writing is I, I do think that there is a there is a distinctly positive culture at play here, and it's got a tremendous number of highly qualified people who've put faculty in front of the classroom, programs in place, and then you know, and then great students choose to you know they got a lot of choices and they choose to come here, and then you create you, there's this synergy about it all that that really I'm trying to articulate anything that could be a transferable lesson to another organization, be it a, a school or a company or mm-hmm. a hospital or a nonprofit. Um, and, and I love that, you know, the, you, we start with the thoughts, but the thought in and of itself, it, it does have to manifest. Right. And I think, you know, I'd like to kind of pivot to one of the things we talked about in our, our preparation was the ridiculousness of this all, because there are not enough hours in the day. Right. For FEMBA, you know, the FEMBA just makes no, you know, it's the space-time continuum. Yeah. There aren't enough hours in the day. And, you know, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, just the rigor of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. So FEMBA was very tough for me. Um, I've always, you know, thought of myself as a very good student, So, which means basically that means I care a lot about my grades. Mm. Um, <laughs> I worked in a career where you actually had to do a lot of work in order to see output. It's very hard, you know, in sales, very easy to measure how much effort you're putting in. Um, and it was a big shock to my system to basically be struggling and, and, and feeling like I was failing at just every single thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like, you know, it, it's, no, it's okay. Just, now are you speaking metaphorically? I mean, when metaphorically, you say... right. You just, you, your numbers, my, you know, when you look at the the metrics, you just don't feel like you're doing as good as you think you should. Yeah. But yeah. I hear that a lot from. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, and then of course your house is just a disaster. And I mean, <laughs> I, like everything falls apart. There's this thing called the FEMBA 15, which just often is the FEMBA 40. So anyway, it's <laughs> kind of. Sometimes there's a caloric it, change as I we mean, stress. If you're eat. never sleeping. You have to eat to stay awake. Or, That's right. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did it. My MBA, I, I, my MBA pictures. I'm like, who's that round guy? Oh my God. Yeah. It's very tough. And it was very tough for me. Um, but I guess there's a couple of things I'd say. Um, you just you end up doing really crazy things because you're trying to fit it all in. You're just trying to do it all, and you're not just trying to do it all. You're trying to excel at it all. So I gave you this one example of 
uh, my good friend who commuted um, from San Diego uh, for Saturday classes and she ended up also doing weekday classes and she sent me this text at one point that said um, I've hit a new low I'm trying to dictate my paper to Siri as I drive to campus and I just thought wow that really is the epitome of like our behavior we're just trying so hard in every way we can but the cool thing is we end up doing a pretty amazing job in spite of how crazy and ridiculous we feel um and after you get through it you look back and especially for me I've, i look back and i'm like i can't believe i accomplished so much and mm. i am really proud of myself and i think what's great about that feeling is as i look forward into my career i'm going to have to push myself that hard again but now i know i can do it i know what it takes to do it i know i can probably do it better maybe a little less crying <laughs> and <laughs> you know maybe tears wash away husband, they wash away the chapter for my husband <laughs> um but you like you learn a lot about your own capacity and that's something that is actually pretty hard to do and so i i've i appreciate that about especially the first two years um and in the second year i went through ocr which is this whole other like <laughs> OCR being on-campus recruiting, on recruiting yeah. which is a whole uh, another time commitment and, and challenge. So um, it it will be difficult. You cannot expect to get a normal sleep <laughs> have a normal sleep schedule. Cannot expect to have a normal workout schedule. Um, but you know, it's a temporary thing. At three years at the most. Oh, well, okay, three years roughly, and you're going to learn so much about yourself, and you're going to be so proud of yourself at the end of it, which is cool. Yeah. But sometimes in the middle of it, you're you're not sure. And actually, one, one the other, I would say, piece of advice I have for people that feel that way, I would always try to break it down into very small, manageable chunks, and mm. not like oh, handle one week at a time because one week you're just it makes you feel like you should just give up because there's so many things you have to do that week. I actually ended up breaking it down into kind of like thirds. Okay, this is what I need to do in this third of my day. This is what I need to do in the second third of my day. And this is what I need to do in the third third. And it just helps me focus and try to do the best I can as possibly, as, as the best I can, as fast as I possibly can in that third. And that's kind of how I got through a lot of those really, really tough um, weeks and nights. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, when, when I first started recruiting, you know, here in the fall of 2003, thought, oh my God, three years, that's like law school. And then I started, you know, I'm like, that's so intense because I had done a full-time MBA, yeah. which was, you know, 21 months and I did an internship or I mean, I studied abroad for the fall and then I, you know, I was gone from my internship, studied abroad for the fall. So I was on campus for nine months, away for six months, back for six months and done. It was like yeah. over before I knew it. And I thought, oh my God. But then I started to have these, I started to listen to the current alumni panels and especially the alumni, they would all say, it's weird how fast it goes. Because it, it looks so intimidating at the outset, it's so hellish while you're in it, mm -hmm. and then it's over. You're like, "What just happened here?" You know that that it, when you contrasted to college, you know I would hear alumni say, "You know, college is like forever because 18 to 22, there's so much crammed in there, and it's but but when you're when you're when an average fem is 30, 31 walking in the door, like you've got a full life, and all this other stuff is still running. Yeah. So like, it's like this weird sort of paradox of there's not enough time, and yet everything's happening all at once, and I'm, yeah. not, I'm no, not articulating it no, very but well. No, it's but true. It's like it's a it's a very strange thing. It goes by so fast, but in the moment, it feels like it's crawling so slowly. Yeah, like how could I ever <laughs> yes. get to the finish line? Never be done from yeah, here. Yeah. 
Well, and tell, tell people, you know, some of the things we talked about, about, you know, you're really passionate about helping women in particular, not just get through FEMBA, but, but choose what you call daunting career choices. You know, say some words about that and, and some of the things where you've really challenged yourself with, with public speaking, with, you know, like competing for the sake of competing. You were saying some of these things that you knew how to do, but you're like really conscious now that you can do when you need to do, or, you know, some yeah. of your own growth and development. Sure. So, um, I think the thing that I will take, a, the, the most impactful thing that I will take away from my MBA experience is the ability to better manage what is um, known as imposter syndrome, which is a psychological theory from, I think, the 70s, but was made uh, more popular or more well-known by Sheryl Sandberg in her book, Lean In, and then also Tina Fey has joked about a lot about it. Um, both of those women have said that they struggle with it. Um, so basically the premise is that uh, a lot, it, it, it's actually seen especially in adult women um, who have a lot of success that they can point to in their life, but still feel like they are incompetent in a lot of ways or um, feel like they, it was an accident that they got mm. where they are going and um, they essentially feel like an imposter in whatever they're doing and that someone will pretty soon figure out that they're actually just, you know, tricking everyone. Um, so I read Lean In and I knew, I mean, as soon as I read the chapter, I was like, that's, that's, that's me so much. And it's so sad to realize that about yourself. Um, and I didn't really know what to do with that identification. But Anderson has given me the opportunity to practice how you deal with um, feeling that way. And I don't really think, you know, for, so for those women who, who feel that way about themselves, it's not something that I'm trying to like stop feeling because I don't really think that's realistic. It's something that you learn how to manage. It's, it has a lot to do with confidence, but really when it comes to confidence, I've, I'm, I've learned it's more about, I guess, like fake it till you make it, like mm. pretending and putting on the right personality or the right, um, persona so that other people perceive confidence. You don't have to, you don't have to necessarily, um, believe it as much as you have to behave it. Um, so the Which way. is a little congruent with your thinking and action distinction. Because yeah. yeah. so, so our listeners, I've watched you chair a year's worth of FEMBA council meetings. And one, one of the things that I appreciated about your leadership style was you did not warm up. You <laughs> stepped onto the stage and you started at 100%. Okay. You know, you were yeah. very calm. Yeah. You had an agenda. You know, you, you wanted you wanted to share the leadership around. You had executives speaking on, on the topics that were their accountabilities you had an inclusive demeanor. You like I was. I was of the impression you didn't look nervous. Well, so if you were faking <laughs> it until you made it, you know, and, and now your tenure is already complete. You know, you yeah. just ran your last council yeah. meeting today. Yeah. So okay. So, so that's interesting. So, so okay. and public speaking is a great example. That's really easy for people to identify with. I'm a very nervous public speaker, which is strange because I'm very comfortable talking to strangers because of my job. My my job. I mean. I, cold called more times than uh, you, most people never want to cold call. I've cold called like millions and millions of businesses. So I feel very comfortable approaching strangers one-on-one, -on -one, but I'm like a nervous wreck in front of a group. And so I've 
deliberately pursued opportunities at Anderson where I would be public speaking, so I'm nervous, but it's not, I mean, okay, like let's say I chaired a, a family council meeting and I, you know, started crying or something. I mean, it'd be embarrassing, but it's not like going in front of, you know, the potential CEO of my company and doing a presentation and start crying, right? So it's basically, it's the idea is you're practicing these things that are really hard for you, but you're doing it in a place that's pretty safe yeah. and that will make you better at them. And that, and that's the thing. I mean, that's why I'm actually comfortable speaking with strangers because I've practiced it so many times. I've embarrassed myself so many times in front of strangers that I kind of feel like I've got it. And it's not just public speaking. Anderson has given me the opportunity to think, look, I'm, I'm really weak at this. And, you know, I'll give some example. Let me air all my weaknesses. <laughs> Future employees. <laughs> I'm very McKinsey, bad at, you hired well, yeah. McKinsey. You no, can't really. renege now. I'm actually very bad at competing because I'm not motivated by competition. And so mm. when other people are like, you know, I'm going to win and I'm going to be the best, I'm like, eh, let's all play along. Um, but at Anderson, I've been able to practice that skill set because it's really important in the mm -hmm. business world. It's really important to at least be able to take a seat and participate in that and believe that you can actually win. And so, sorry, and that so that's what Anderson has probably been the best uh, in terms of opportunity. That's probably been the best thing I can take away. It's just all of those times that I said, "Look, I don't feel confident at this. I think I'm going to embarrass myself. I will never be good enough." But you know what? I'm just going to go pretend I can do it. And then sometimes I like really do a good job, mm -hmm. right? So that's how I need to approach life, even though, you know, we don't always believe that we'll get the job. We don't always believe we'll be elected. Just participate, go put on right. a face, tell them you're going to, you're the best and you're going to be the best choice. And then, you know what you actually might be. And that's, um, something I, I really hope women can, uh, learn in life. And I think that business school in Anderson is a really good place to practice that. And then I think that extends, I think we, we were talking a little bit about taking, uh, like challenging yourself as a woman to, to have really big goals. And I think when you have imposter syndrome, you, it's not, it, it's not that I have like low self-esteem. It's just that I never really dreamed about, you know, I'm going to be the next director at McKinsey. I'm going to be the president of the U S and get, I just never really thought of myself that way. And I think as you learn more about your own potential, you suddenly think of all these different jobs and opportunities and just lives that you actually could live. And for me, that's exciting because the more impact I have, or I guess the more um, senior I can be in my career specifically, the more impact I can have in the world. Mm. And that's pretty cool because that's what motivates me is making a difference in, in having a positive change. And so I am so excited now that I can dream big and achieve a lot and make such a more dramatic, I'll have such a bigger difference, make such a bigger difference um, in the world. So um, coming to Anderson was a big step for me in that area. Oh, I love that. I, you know, I'm so proud that, you know, we've grown. There are 100, over 120 ways you can get a graduate degree at UCLA. Probably this year, more people are going to choose FEMBA than any other program. We're probably going to surpass the law school because law school apps are dropping nationwide. Yeah. 
And I'm like, you know, th- nobody puts a gun to anyone's head to come to UCLA. People choose to move their whole yeah. life around to apply to grad school at UCLA. They've got over 100 choices, and this is the most popular choice. I don't know if I could sell pickup trucks, but I love representing the opportunity that education represents to a very diverse student body yeah. in many, many different industries at different stages of career, a couple years out of school, mid-30s, yeah. early 40s. You know, that's a wide range of human, married, single, committed, not committed, footloose, fancy-free, all of that enhancer, switcher, entrepreneur, and being successful because you did courageously not just live in thinking land, but put yourself in action land. So so let's, you know, as we kind of come to the, sort of the, the final part of our, you know, let's talk about like, how'd you get to McKinsey? That's a big deal. You know, that to tell people not without going through all the bloody details, <laughs> but, but you competed in a highly competitive thing, which is, you know, McKinsey only comes to a few of the top schools and they only have so many seats and you, you're going to fulfill one of those. So tell us a little about that. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that I would not have this job offer if it wasn't for Anderson. Um, so I, I, this is, I would say, you know, the basics are you have to have a good GPA, you have to have a good GMAT, you know, all that stuff. If that's a given, but the truth is you're competing against people who all have that stuff, right? Right. That's just to get in the door. (laughs) That's just, yeah. Um, But you probably have that if you're at Anderson anyway. So what I try to encourage all of the people that I I prep with um, in terms of McKinsey specifically is understanding your own true strengths and what you truly bring to the table that no one else brings and then making sure you highlight that in your entire interview. Mm. So we do case interviews in in uh, consulting which you know basically given a business problem and then you have to figure out a solution and then we do like a more traditional style interview um, as well where we ask like for examples. But what I tell people is you at this point you know yourself the best. What do you, why would you hire you? What is mm. so great, not just great about you, but what's so strong that makes you invaluable to any company you work at? Once you know that about yourself, then you figure out how to uh, tell your stories to highlight that strength to even the way you solve problems. Probably you're using that strength. You just need to know that you have, you just have to make sure that the person sees it, sees that. And that's really what I did. So I know like nobody is surprised. I am not a quant genius. I mean, I'm not, you have to have a minimum level of math skills, you know, during this interview process because they test your math skills, but they're not hiring me to be a mathematician. I'm not secretly, you know, like the, the, the Excel whiz. Like, right. <laughs> so I'm not trying to convince McKinsey to hire me for those things. There's a base level. Okay. That's a given, but you, you, you know, if you got the interview, you have the base level, right? They wouldn't have right. offered to so be me. They're going to measure all of those things and usually hit a base level. But then what you need to prove to them is that you spike higher than almost everyone else in the world. Every other business student, you spike in this area and they would really miss out if they didn't have you. And that's how I, I think I was successful because I know my strengths and I knew that every story I told, every problem I had, every conversation reminds them she's super good at this and this is how she solves problems, this is how she will make us successful and we have to have her for this. Mm. So McKinsey does that with everyone and when you have people that are exceptional at different things, then as a team, you obviously are unstoppable and that's why the firm is so amazing because they're finding the best at one, you know, these specific areas. They're not looking... Because I think what happens in an interview, we feel like we need to convince them, I'm great at everything. 
<laughs> I'm the best at everything. No yeah. one's the best at everything. You have to be good at everything, but you need to be the best at something. And right. only you know what that is. Um, so anyway, that's what I think that was a, the the biggest thing for me um, with McKinsey. And well, now you got me totally yeah. curious. So <laughs> I mean, you know, but I don't have to tell your secret uh, sauce. I mean, this is yours or not? Like I, because everybody's gonna know. But but again, if you're listening in this and you say, well, I, you, there's no me to answer because what what was. Katie's articulation of Katie's secret sauce or Katie's, you know, this is the thing where I spike high, I like that metaphor. That's not mine. That's not someone else's. But do you want to share? You don't have to. Well, it's not even like, it's not like a secret. Like, yeah. Not, I, is, you I didn't know, say secret. You did, no, I no, said no. you did not introduce um, that. I introduced fine. that. Um, honestly, if you know me, you, I'm, I'm too transparent probably. Um, I'm very good at interacting with people and reading people. So mm. when I am approached with a problem, the first thing I do subconsciously is figure out what the person who's presenting the problem is wants. And when I, um, you know, I, I was a salesperson. So when I'm mm. convincing people, I, yes, I'm selling a product and it was at least at early key as a, you know, maybe a kind of complicated system. But at the end of the day, what I'm really doing is understanding what the person's, the person I'm sitting across from needs and that skill is how I am successful in almost everything. And, um, so if you look at a lot of like the research on, uh, people on strengths, there's a strength about, um, like basically interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I can now see that I've done this my whole life. So, so for example, getting to know teachers and getting to know what that teacher wants. 18 different, gives, three high schools, yeah. 18 different moves. Gives you the ability to yeah. then study really effectively. And so it's not that I was like the best, the smartest student is that I was really good at identifying what my teachers wanted and then giving them that yeah. knowledge. And then obviously I had to make friends. Um, well, I didn't have to, but I, I'm very, uh, extroverted. So I felt like I need to make friends really fast. And so I had to quickly understand what these new friends or these new people wanted and what they, I guess, wanted out of me and then give that to them. Mm. And so that skill set, something I've used pretty much my whole life. Um, and it's really, really important at McKinsey because all of our work is for clients yeah. and, um, understanding what your client wants, even when, it seems like what they really want is, you know, a model or, you know, something very logical. If you know from the get-go and you know quickly that that's not exactly what they want, you can figure it out and you can be subtle and you don't have to put them on the spot and embarrass them. I mean, that's very, very important in consulting. Um, but, yeah. of course, you have to partner that with somebody who's, you know, exceptionally good at the other skill sets, too. So, Well said. That's my secret sauce. Not so secret. <laughs> not so <laughs> not secret. So secret. <laughs> Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, um, you know, we're, we're kind of coming up on our time here. You know, we haven't talked about your field study. You did an international field study. You did a global immersion to India. I mean, any kind of last shout outs there's, she's great. You should get to know Katie, you know, there's more to the story, but any, sure. you know, as we sort of start to wind it down, any other yeah, or I'll, any, yeah, I'll speak to my global immersion. So I, uh, traveled a lot partly because I, you know, we removed a lot. And so a lot of the um, areas that I live. So I lived in Southeast Asia and, and Australia and different parts of the U.S. Um, and I was very comfortable traveling on my own. So I, I guess I was a little wary of 
going on a global immersion where everything's mm. like planned, you know, you stay in these really nice hotels and it's like, is that really me? So yeah, I decided I to join because, you know, everyone says that you should. So I decided to go to India, which I'd never been to India. So I thought it's a great place to go. And I cannot speak highly enough about our trip. It was so well planned and it was that the things that I was able to do and the people that I was able to hear from are are people that I would never be able to get in touch with. I mean, we we had like the guy who's in charge of marketing for Coca-Cola. I mean, we it was just we did a plant tour, just things that I could never put together on my own. Hey, I'm coming to India. Do you, do you want to sit down with me? Like, yeah. no, I don't. Um, and so I'm so thankful that I did that. And I'm glad that I, um, like, even though I'm not one that, you know, I don't look for like a tour, like a tour guide when I travel. I mean, Anderson just did such a good job in, in making this like, business specific and it was, every day was interesting and exciting. Um, so yeah, I definitely loved the global immersion program. Yeah, it was it was amazing because the one I've been on two. Um, my my deans have said, you know, you got to go to India, yeah. you got to go to China. You can't just hear about these countries. Yeah. You got to go feet on the street. And both times, I myself was impacted. And I've I lived in Germany three years, yeah. and you know, I've lived in South America. And and a third of the people on the India trip were Indian. Yeah, ours too. Yeah, yeah. and but they were they all told me, you know, India is changing so fast. I've been in San Jose for seven years. You know, I go home once a year. I see family, right. so I would never get to right. talk to these people. Yeah. And I want to know, like, the business side of India, not just the cultural right. family, familiar smells and food side. Mm -hmm. And I thought to the, I thought, well, it'd be like it'd be like an American grown person doing a study abroad to Wall Street. You know, right. like but, you, who, but, but, when you go as a tourist, you see right. X. When right. you go as a business trip with business you students, you see come home. face to face with like investors, people that you might actually be able to email then because you're then working in India. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Anderson just did a good job. Oh, that's great. That. Well, um, so any, any parting thoughts? If, if I knew then what I know now, anything, <laughs> anything we haven't covered that people should know? Um, I think the biggest thing about the FEMBA program is it's all about what you put into it. And I think that's actually really cool because if you need, you just need an MBA because you need that to check off a box and get the promotion that everyone wants you to have. Like we have that, we can we can do that for you, and you can get an accelerated MBA. But if you're an explorer or you you know you need to find a confidence boost or you want to, you already know you need to switch from you know being in sales to being consulting. If you know where you need to go, Femba can help you get there. Um, but it's all about you putting in the work. And I think the best advice, like that, so having said that, I think the best advice I can give to people is be very deliberate with your time at FEMBA. Yeah. Yeah. So the worst thing that can happen, well, not the worst thing, but the saddest thing for me when it comes to, to the FEMBA program is when people look back and say, I wish I had. Mm -hmm. Because this place has so much to offer. If you can decide this is the things that I'm going to spend my time on, then you'll never say, I wish I had. Like maybe something doesn't work out exactly as you planned, which sometimes that's a great thing. Um, but you don't have to look back and say, I wish I had, if you're very deliberate and your time ends up being so valuable that we want to spend our time while in this program in the best possible way that we can. So, Well, you have done that. And, you know, thank you again for the generosity of spirit in this interview, specifically to, 
you know, to share some of the, the learnings you've had as a, as a human being on your own growth trajectory, you know, and, and I think I love your articulation of, of, you know, a powerful, effective interview, you know, for a competitive role that you did distinguish, you know, your certain North star that, that is that X factor that you're going to bring. But I don't think you can define that for yourself without going through the ugly work of I'm not this and I'm not this and I'm not this. So, you know, thank you for your generosity of, of, of communication during our our conversation. And, and really thank you for your generosity of, of spirit as a leader here. You know, we're going to miss you. Um, you you know, Anderson will miss you. Your husband will be glad to have you back, you know, and McKinsey's lucky to get you. Um, you know, so thanks for going along with this Dylan learning how to offer a podcast conversation. And it's just been a real putting this together. This is really fun for, for us to hear from our classmates and learn more about people that we've spent hours with and then sometimes don't know something yeah yeah well uh, it's just a pleasure so thank you all for listening this wraps up this podcast stay tuned we'll do another one in the near future and uh, thanks everybody for listening